This morning, we are finishing up our series on the the Peacemaker series, we're calling it, but it's learning God's way of handling conflict. And I want to think a little bit about the, the overall picture that we've done. The thing I've kind of heard back from you or the questions I've heard is, these are great principles, but what happens when the other person doesn't play ball, right? Like, what happens when, because sometimes they just don't work as well if the other party does not respond. And so we have this, this line in our, our text today is, is, if it possible, live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. So the Bible's realistic, right? There are times when it won't be possible. There are times when you will encounter um, stubbornness and anger and and people unwilling to, to apply these ways of seeking reconciliation. And it, it's difficult. So what do you do when that happens? What, what then do, what's, what's your, your main activity then? And, and that's where we have what Paul says, our passage ended with, overcome evil with good. In other words... We hold on to the truth of grace. Grace is this idea that we have received goodness from God that we did not deserve. And so we hold on to that truth as, a, as our guiding principle throughout it all. As I've been um, teaching on this, and actually even before when I was preparing, I started listening to a podcast. And I'm wondering if anyone else has been listening it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's put on by Christianity Today. Is anyone else? A couple of you. Okay. So this is, is, has been a fascinating podcast for me. Mars Hill is a church that was founded in Seattle by Pastor Mark Driscoll. And um, it, it, it just was exploded in growth in a very secular area. And this happened in the early 2000s. And then in about 2014 or so, the church fell apart. So it grew. Mark became very famous. And what the podcast I'm learning is, is, is conflict within the church destroyed it. And the way conflict was handled, the way disagreements were handled, is what ultimately brought down this particular congregation that seemed to be reaching a lot of people, a lot of people who otherwise maybe would have never come into the kingdom. Um, the, the last most recent episode, it's a many, multi-episode uh, podcast, it just basically was people who got fired and they had a disagreement, they found out the next day they were fired sometimes without severance. And uh, at least two or three of them were people who either were having a baby or just had a child, and they got cut right there. There was a lack of grace in the whole process. And what it made me think about is, I, I wasn't very familiar with Mars Hill or anything, but I had heard of Mark Driscoll, and, and the context was his Reformed teaching and the idea of salvation by grace. One of the key ideas of Reformed 
thought, and we would fall into as a Reformed church here, is that we are not saved by the good works we do. Ultimately, we're saved because God had mercy upon us, because God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we are saved by grace alone. And so that's my association with Mark Driscoll. And what I, this podcast realized is that you can have a theology of grace, right, where you teach about grace, salvation through God's act alone and the goodness of God, but yet you could fail to live out grace in your life or in your church community. And that's the point I wanted to, to bring up with this, is that it's not enough just to teach about grace. It's not enough just to believe that you're saved by grace. Grace needs to be lived out in your life. And our passage today, Paul is talking about that. What does it look like when grace starts to flow out of your life into your relationships? What does grace lived out look like? The, the, the book of Romans is written by the Apostle Paul, and, and much of it is dedicated to how God's plan of salvation works. He wrote this to, to lay out, here's, how, here's what God did to save us. And it, it, salvation's through Jesus Christ. One key verse is, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, in that relationship with Christ. There's no condemnation. It's been taken away. Our salvation is secure through that relationship with Christ. And, and know this. Maybe you've never encountered that before, but, but if, if you're here this morning, know that God's salvation stands open for you. And you could this morning say, I, I know I've messed up my life, and I, I need something. I, I need to reconnect to God. And I know that I've sinned, and I stand guilty before God. Know that if you put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, He will forgive your sins. He will receive you. And he will make you one of his. And you will gain eternal life. And that offer is available this morning and every morning. That's the salvation message. And Paul has been outlining that throughout all of the book of Romans. And then in Romans 12, he starts to say, okay, now therefore, having received this message, what happens then? How does it work in your life? And in verse 9, where we started, he starts about this is how it looks in your relationships. And so the rest of the message, I'm just going to go through the, this passage, kind of verse by verse. What does grace look, lived out look like in your life, in your relationships? It starts by saying, love must be genuine, sincere, real. Now it says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, hold fast to what is good. I mean, do we really need to hear that? I mean, come on, it's, it's like, isn't that a children's sermon? Hate what is evil, love what is good. You know, good, good is good. Like, but here's, here's why it's in there, is we can convince ourselves that, that we, we can justify doing wrong if we say it's for a good cause, right? We can convince ourselves that even though what we're doing is wrong, it's not really wrong because of this. We need our, our love to be genuine, sincere. The, the, actually, the word is let your love be unhypocritical. Let it be real. Don't put up a false pretense. We live in a world 
that puts up false pretenses all the time. Let your love for the Lord be real. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So it, you, wouldn't, you couldn't tell in English, but it switches the word for love between verse 9 and 10. In verse 9, it was agape was the word for love, which is love, a giving, sacrificial love. The, the other word in this one is phileo, which is the word for brotherly love, or love that's like friendship and warm affection oriented. And so you should have a love that actually has warmth and affection within it. That's what God is looking for as he calls his people together. And it gives a practical way to do that. Honor other people. Outdo one another in, in showing honor to others. In other words, look for the things that other people do well and take note of it. Right? We always want to get compliments for ourselves or we want to be praised. And, and it's saying, no, look for ways to honor others and what they're doing. Um, those at the top oftentimes don't want other to be, others to be honored because they want all the honors for themselves. But in Christ, we're called to see each other, take note of how others are doing things that are good and, and, and honor them for it. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I don't know if we use the word slothful too much anymore. Just try lazy. It's saying, serve the Lord and don't be lazy about it, right? Give your energy to serving our God. Do something. Don't, don't get trapped in just doing nothing. Be serving the Lord. And then be, it's fervent in the spirit or zealous in the spirit would be the other, other translation. But the word, if it's applied to water, is boil. It's this picture be boiling with the Spirit of God. Isn't that a great picture? Imagine God's Spirit boiling up within you, right? That's the way you're to carry yourself in your relationships. That, that, that the joy, the goodness, the grace is boiling out of you as it, as it leads you to, to live for people, to, to live for the Lord, to, to live in service to others. Verse 12 expands on that. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. If you go back to the, the, the Greek text, there's a rhythm to it. Here's, here's how it would sound in Greek. It says, in hope rejoicing, in hardship enduring, in prayer remaining constant. That rhythm. And what it's saying is whatever the circumstances that are going on in your life, um, we are to stay focused on our, our, our the joy and the the relationship we have with the Lord. In other words, don't let your circumstances put you in a mood in the way you treat others. Have you ever had that where, where someone is, is just in a mood and there's things going on in our life and they can't get out of that mood, right? They're going to be down. They're going to be negative. They're going to be critical and say, well, I, I have a right to be this way because everything's going wrong in my life. We can allow our circumstances to determine the way we, we act towards others and our attitudes and our moods. This is saying, don't do that. Rejoice in hope. Be patient when you face hardship, right? And whatever you do, just lift it to God in prayer so that, that these things don't rule your life, your relationship with 
Christ is central. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So when it, the Bible says saints, it does not mean the special group of people, you know, with halos over their head and, and all that. Um, it, it's not, the word saints in this thing just really means people who are made holy, ones who are made holy. And being made holy just means when Jesus comes in your life, when you put your faith in him, he makes us holy. All believers are made holy by Christ coming into us. We're made otherwise, we couldn't stand with God. So what Jesus does is he gives us, he imparts to us his holiness. So if you put your faith in Jesus, you are a saint. So it's just talking about our relationships with people within the body of Christ. And it's saying, contribute to the needs of the saints. You have something to give. If the Lord has brought you here and is leading you to become part of this fellowship and congregation, it's because you have something to contribute. God has something. You're not just here to be blessed by others. And we, but we do hope you will be, that this will be a place for spiritual growth. But you also have something to give. Um, you have a place to give of yourself in some way, whether it's financially, whether it's, it's something you could do to serve and, and help other people. And then it says, show hospitality. Now, in one way, hospitality means having people over to your house, sharing, sharing meals with people, uh, showing kindness, making people feel welcome. The actual word could be also translated having love for the stranger. In, in Greek, it's philozenia, or philozenion. And the xenos means stranger. And philo, again, is love or friendship love. So have a friendship love towards strangers. Note the, the parallelism in the verse. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints. The saints are the insiders, your fellow believers but also have a love for, a care for the xenos, the strangers out there, the outsiders. Don't just be so inward focused that you're not willing to invite people and in to make feel welcomed the strangers out there, people who God might be leading into a relationship with Christ. Verse 14. Um, Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse. So bless, which means speak well. You know, what's our natural response when someone curses us or despises us or says bad things or attacks us verbally? We, we want to give it in return. Um, to curse is to, to speak against, to speak evil of someone. It's not just saying bad words, um, but it's, it's about um, speaking evil of us, the, the thing is, when they speak evil of us, we want to speak blessings back, to speak well of them. Jesus gave the same admonition in Matthew 5. He says, you know, you've heard it said, hate your, uh, love your neighbor but hate your enemies. I tell you, love your enemies. We are called to not respond in kind to the way people treat us. Jesus says, if you love those who love you back, what are you doing other than what everyone does, right? 
there's no special reward from God for loving people who love you back. If you, if you want to really show that you understand what grace is about, and if you want to show that you, you love God, then love the people who, who curse you, who are against you. Um, the key to this, when someone says something bad of you and not being responding in kind, because I know that goes against every grain that we have in us. The key is knowing what God says of you. We believe and know that in, through Christ, in Christ, God our Father says of us, this is my son or this is my daughter, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. If we know what God's word is over us, then the words of others don't penetrate because we know what God says. And therefore, we are freed to respond with grace even as others throw the flaming arrows at us. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We are called to share our lives with one another. How much difference does it make when going through hard times that someone knows what you're facing? How much difference does it make that, to be able to tell someone, this is what's going on in my life. It's really hard right now. I, one of the biggest discoveries for me, I, I know when I started in ministry, I was really worried about the, the counseling aspect or the thing. Because like, I, I love to teach. This is, this is my thing. But the whole one-on-one and just, you know, and I thought to be a counselor, I'd have to have some great wisdom and insight I'd have to share. But what I found is sometimes all I'll do is listen and feel like, man, I wish I could help in some way and, and, or give some great advice. And I'd have nothing to share. But, but afterwards, they'd say, oh, pastor, that was so, thank you so much for all you've done. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. All I did is listen. Exactly. Right? Some, the power of someone who listens. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice in a new birth and a child. That's what we're doing this morning. Rejoicing with us to, to the, the, the joys in our life. You know, it, we can have that joyous mo- moment, but it's not the same if there's no one to share it with. So, you know, sometimes pastors are tempted on, on really beautiful days in the summer. You know, do I really want to go to church today? Well, there was a pastor who, who, who had that temptation, and he called in sick. He called one of his elders and said, I, I can't be here this morning. And so he took off to go golfing. And he went two towns over, like he drove a couple hours away so that no one would know who he was. And he gets out on the course, and it's just a beautiful day. And he's, he's just sort of playing alone, um, and he has the best day of his life. Like, he's, he's, he's setting the course record. And he gets to hole number 18, and, like, if he gets a good, good one on this, if he gets at least a, a, a par, it's the course record. How awesome would that be? And so he tees up, and he hits his drive, and a gust of wind comes in behind it. And it's a 450-yard hole. But that gust of wind carries it all the way to the hole, and the, but not quite. And then a squirrel picks up the, the golf ball and starts to carry it towards the hole. And, and then 
and then a hawk swoops down and grabs the squirrel with the golf ball in his mouth, and then it goes over, and then the, the squirrel drops it, and it lands on the green and goes right into the hole. And so he gets a hole-in-one on a 450-yard par five. And St. Peter is up there with God and says, what'd you do that for? He says, who's he going to tell about it? So that's the thing. We're meant to share the joys of life. And they're, they're not the same unless we have people to do that with. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In Christ, we get to hang out with people who, who look and think differently than us. That's part of the plan. God loves to bring into his body people who have different attitudes, people who are different places in life. We're not all meant to be the same. And sometimes we have different backgrounds. And that makes it hard. That's why we sometimes have conflict, right? People see things completely different than me. And I just have, have trouble figuring that out. And that's why we need these principles of working through conflict. But, but God says, don't bring in a haughty attitude, right? Be, be humble enough to know that it's okay that someone's different. When Jesus chose the 12, who did he pick? He picked fishermen and tax collectors and people who were different. And God brings them all together into his body and makes them part of his, his one universal holy church. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So we have a saying, right? You got to fight. You got to fight fire with fire, right? When we get hit, we got to hit back just, just the same or more. Um, that's our natural tendency. That's the advice of the world. Jesus says, the Lord says, repay no one evil for evil. When, when you do that, when you fight fire with fire, what you're doing is you're giving the ability of, to another person to, to decide how you're going to live your life. Right? If you are going to repay them what they've done to you, then you're giving them the power to determine what you will do. It's, it's just natural. So... Um, what we want to do instead is say, I let God's grace decide how I will respond, not your actions. You can't goad me into doing evil. You can't goad me into doing what the Lord would not have me do. I'm not giving you that kind of power to manipulate me into doing wrong or evil. What if we thought of it that way? And instead, that enables us to say, I can act differently in this situation. Verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live at peace with all people. Um, the Bible is realistic. It says, if possible, right? Make your actions such that you are seeking peace in your life and in all your relationships. Um, and now you have learned and you've been learning a different way of handling conflict. And with Christ, we have the power to, to live that out. And so we are called to, to seek peace in our relationships. But we're going to face difficulties. There's going to be challenges with that in this world that we live in. And the Bible knows that. 
And so that's why we go on to verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So there are times we're going to want to seek vengeance or vindication or justice for ourselves. And, and the Lord says, don't do it. Um, now, shouldn't we want justice to happen? Of course. God hates injustice. And that's why it says, leave room for God's wrath. Have you ever watched a movie and some injustice was done and, and the evil person, and they get away with it? Doesn't something in your inner spirit just rage against that and, and you, you want it to be the other way? So does God. He is just. In this time, God is patient because he's allowing room for patience, uh, repentance. He's giving people opportunities to, to, do, um, to, to turn around before they face the consequences and the judgment for their actions. And so in this world, it's, it's difficult but we know we have a Father who sees it all. He sees what's done to us. He sees what's done against us. He sees how we respond. Jesus says, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so we're called to leave room for God to deal with this situation. That doesn't mean we don't pray. And in fact, the only way to do this, as far as I'm concerned, is, God, this person has done me wrong. I need your protection I need your help. I need you to deal with them. Think about it this way. Who is more capable of dealing with that person? You or the God of the universe? Who is able to actually get them to, to you know, deal with them in the right way? And who has the power to make sure that they can stop their evil? It's far more God than it is us. The other key in this is we kind of breeze through that word beloved. It just simply means one who is loved. When we know we are loved by God, it can give us the strength to respond differently in this, in this scenario. It goes on to say, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning cool, coals on his head. This is tough stuff. It's saying rather than responding and, and hurting your person, doing evil back to them, do good to them. Help them if they need it. Demonstrate that God's love is more powerful in your life than their abuse. And when you do that, it says you're heaping burning coals on their head. It, that could be a wake-up call. The burning coals could be a way of, of helping them see how off they are. Maybe they're, 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 they're not even capable of thinking that, that they're in the wrong in this case. And by your response, you're, you're giving them a demonstration that the burning coals do that. Or the burning coals could be adding to the witness against them on the day that they face God. And they'll have no excuse when they face the heat of God's wrath because you showed them what goodness looks like even as they persisted in doing evil and wrong. And it ends with, do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. If we cling to Christ, we cannot be overcome by evil, right? He's in us. He's with us. What can this world do to us? It can kill us, but that doesn't matter because we have eternal life. We go be with him immediately, and we have life in his name. It could, it could call us all kinds of names, but God calls us sons and daughters. We belong to him. There's nothing this world could do that can take you out of that relationship with God. So we can't be overcome by evil unless we allow it to, to rule in our life, unless we allow that desire for revenge to take over, unless we allow anger a foothold. As long as we cling to what is, cling to Christ, cling to what is good, we can stand in his grace and know that God can deal with whatever comes about. Jesus told his disciples after a long message, I have told you these things, um, that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have hardship or trouble or tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's what we cling to. God will win, and we're on his side. Therefore, we will win with him. And so we need not fear what this world can do to us. And God's grace has a way of surprising us. Um, a few years back in Nigeria, there was a, a Christian village. In Nigeria, there's a lot of conflict between Muslims and Christians, between um, herdsmen and, and uh, settled farmers. And there was a group of... Um, a village of Christians who were farmers who were attacked by Muslim raiders. They came to their village and they had attacked, they burned the churches, they, they started killing people, and a whole group fled to, to the, a nearby village, nearby town. And when they got there, they, the main leader of that town was a, a, a Muslim man, um, Imam Abu Bakr Abdullahani. And they didn't know what kind of response they would get. Here's another fellow Muslim with the people attacking them. But, um, but this man, Abu Bakr, Abu Dali, yeah. Anyways, instead of um, rejecting them, he protected them. In fact, he let them go inside the mosque. And he sheltered them, the Christians there. And when the raiders came and insisted that, that he release them so that they could kill them, he refused, and in fact, he, he stood, stood face to face with them and defended them and quoted back the scriptures to say that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing, and he even had some in his house, and he, for, for a period of days, he fed them and sheltered them to protect these believers. God has surprising ways of showing grace. He is able to do this. Later, when asked why he did this, one of the reasons he gave is that it was the, the, the grace and kindness that Christians had shown him. In fact, they, they, they allowed land to be used to build their mosque. So the grace showed on one side came back to, to pay the other side. I'm convinced the gospel changes everything. The good news of Jesus changes hearts and minds and lives. In this world, it's sometimes hard. It takes a time to work it out. But we are to hold.
hold on to that truth about grace. And so if you're going through difficult times of conflict with people you love or people that you don't know or however it's playing out in your life, hold on to the truth about grace in the midst of it. I want to encourage you, on the sermon handout at the bottom, there are some questions. And then we also have an insert. And I, I, I was hoping to kind of set aside time to do this little insert, but I realized we didn't really leave enough space and it didn't leave a lot of time. But I, I would really like for you to think through throughout just the whole series of messages in this series. What has God taught you? Here are some of the questions. Which message had the most impact for you? Right? Which one spoke to you? Um, what one idea will you take away from this, will stick with you and change how you interact with people? What part of this series did you struggle with the most? Was there something that, that you just had trouble to figure out how to apply. And then lastly, did the Holy Spirit lead you to seek reconciliation with someone? I want you to consider those questions. We're going to close with a video. Um, I, I decided what I'll do is I will email out this uh, same thing later if you want to respond by email or if you want to stick around and fill this out now. But I would love to hear back, how is God at work in, through this, this series? What did you take away? If you would um, either respond by email or fill this out and bring it back later, next Sunday, that would be, that would be awesome. Um, I'm going to close with this video, and it just talks again about the power of grace to, to turn things around. So let's, let's watch this now. The conflicts that rage all around us can't be solved by the cross. And I do not believe I will find peace in my own life. My problems are too big for Jesus. I refuse to believe that churches can be reconciled and come to live in peace. But it's because of God we fight and quarrel. It's happening all around the world. It's what happened in Northern Ireland. Yeah, it's what happened in my church. Can people who hate each other ever come to be reconciled? The gospel doesn't change things. Only a fool believes the reckless promise of God that there's real hope in this broken world. This is what I believe. This is what I believe, that there's real hope in this broken world, the reckless promise of God. Only a fool believes the gospel doesn't change things. Can people who hate each other ever come to be reconciled? Yes, that's what happened in my church. It's what happened in Northern Ireland. It's happening all around the world. We fight and quarrel, but it's because of God Churches can be reconciled and come to live in peace. I refuse to believe that my problems are too big for Jesus. I will find peace in my own life. And I do not believe the conflicts that rage all around us can't be solved by the cross.
Before we have our closing song, I just want to give you a minute to just weigh on that and weigh on whatever those questions and ask God to speak to you on, on this issue. And then I'll close in a minute.